0: And so we're in Job chapter 1, and if you can, please go ahead and turn your Bibles there. We're in Job chapter 1, and we're going to read just for a few uh, moments in the book of Job. Um, For some of you, you may not have been familiar with this book. For others, this may be a very familiar book to you. Um, It is a profound book in and of itself, and we're just going to pray that the Lord will speak to us in our time as we spend it in the book of Job. The one thing that we're going to ask as we meditate on the word, we want God to speak to us. We want the scriptures to exegete us. We don't simply want to exegete, expostulate, exposit the actual text, but we want the text to exegete and to expose us. And so that's what we're going to do today. Father, I ask that you would be with us, Lord, as we engage in your word. Father, bless us, Lord. And I just ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, we we simply want to hear from you. Lord, whatever it is, Father, we know, Lord, that this word was written ages ago, but Lord, it applies to us today. And so, Father, I just pray that it would speak directly to us in regards to where we are, what we're going through, our countenance, our heart, our spirit, our mind, our relationship. Father, Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, as we posture ourselves to ask these three questions. And we ask it every time that we read it, Father, is, Lord, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And God, what are you revealing concerning me, concerning each and every one of us individually? And I ask that you would speak not just to me today, but speak to each and every one of us here who is participating. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Job chapter 1, if you can, we'll read and we'll rant. (laughs) And it says this, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons would go and feast in their houses each on his appointed day and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their heart. Thus Job did regularly. Now, there was a day when the sons of Job came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him on earth, blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to same. Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing on the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sebians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come And Satan answered and said to him from going to and fro and walking throughout all the earth. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil? And he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that that a man has, he will give for his life stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out in the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils and the sole of his foot to come down to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a pot shirt and... With it, he scraped himself while he sat in the midst of ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. And he said to him, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God? Shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Naamite. for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. Each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born and the night in which it was. In which it was said, A male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for the night, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the months. Oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout come into it. May those curse it who curse the day. May those who are ready to a ro- rose Leviathan. May the stars of its morning be dark. May it look for light, but have none and not see the dawning of the day because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb nor hide sorrow from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me? Or why did the breasts that I should nurse? For now I would have slain, I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest with the kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor. The small and great are there, and the servant is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter of soul? How long for death? Hmm. Who long for death, sorry, but does not come and search it? more than the hidden treasures who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? For my sighting comes before I eat and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest for trouble comes. I'll read this last chapter. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, if one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Surely you've instructed many and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling." and you have strengthened the feeble knees, and now it comes upon you, and you are weary. It touches you, and you are troubled. Is it not your reverence, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways, your hope? Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or when were the upright ever cut off? Even I have seen those who plow iniquity, and so trouble reap the same. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his anger they are consumed. The roaring of a lion, the voice of the fierce lion, and the teeth of young lions are broken, and old lions perish for the lack of prey, and the cubs and the lioness are scattered. Now a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it, in disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night. From the deep sleep falls on men, fear came upon me in trembling, which made all my bones shake. Then a the spirit passed before my face. The hair of my body stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice saying, "'Can a mortal be more righteous than God? "'Can a man be more pure than his maker?' If he puts no word, no, sorry, if he puts no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more are those who dwell in the houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before a moth? They are broken in pieces from morning till evening. They perish forever with no one regarding. Does not their own excellence go away They die even without wisdom. Hmm. The Word of God. I'm going to stop here so as not to overly strain myself. Um, But man, there's so much that I can speak on, and so much that would need to be unpacked from this uh, portion of text, so much to, um, to exegete. And there are themes throughout the reading of this book that you're going to see recur over and over again. And so I'm going to introduce it in our reflection today because the Lord is speaking profoundly even to us in this moment as we read this text. Um, but you're going to see these themes recur over and over. It will continue to unpack it as we move forward and as we continue to progress forward. One of the things that I want to point out to those of you who are, uh, who are reading or who have been reading along with us, we've read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Second Samuel, and Kings, 1 Chronicles, right? Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and now we're in the book of Job. And what you're noticing is, is up to this point, what the scriptures is revealing to us is a chronology Right? It's revealing to us a, a history. It's revealing to us a history of a particular people. Right, It's a history teaching us of a particular people. It is a perspective that highlights the life, the story and the culture of a particular people. And, and, and what has been affirmed by this particular group of people who we call the Israelites or who we call the Hebrews, what these people Um, were, or what they affirmed themselves to be, are the chosen people of God. They were distinct people who God has charged, has set aside to be the executors of the righteousness of God, the justice of God, and the rule of God. I'm going to give you—I'm going to get to my point. I just want to make sure I— I give you this prelude because it's going to give you light and help you get help give you perspective and understanding about what the purpose of Job is in this particular portion of the Scriptures. Remember how I said this to you before, that God is in the business of establishing His order. He's in the business of establishing His rule. God is in the business of making things right. Um, if there's anything you should get affirmation in, is that God is in the business of making things right. He's making things right. He's making things new. He's renewing things. He, he wants to break things that are broken. He wants to break things that you have broken. He wants to fix things that you have <laughs> adulterated. He wants to bring purity, life, goodness, righteousness, and justice God wants to make you new, and He wants to make everything new. That's what He's in the business of. And this is important. This is important, family, because what you'll understand in the entire narrative of Scripture from the beginning of all things is that God created the world. He created everything in its purity and order, a divine order. He created everything in a divine order. The moment you think of order, you have to think about morality, and the moment that you're thinking about morality, you have to take into consideration or take into mind that God has a system in which things are brought into coincidence. He, God, has a system in which He's bringing things into order, meaning therefore that the order of God is perfect. The order of God is, um, it's right. The order of God makes things right. And unfortunately, whenever you see disorder, you see brokenness. Whenever you see a deviation from the order of God, you see brokenness. This is why there's murder. This is why there is a pain. This is why there is strife. This is why there is death. All these things exist because there's a break from order for the divine order of things. And yet what God is doing is he's looking to bring it all back together. He's looking to bring it back into restoration. And so what the Bible, the Bible isn't what people say it is. Uh, uh, Often when I see the way people read scripture, I realize that a lot of people are reading scripture with this perspective and this mind that the scriptures weren't intended to be read with. No, the scripture is is a story. It's a a narrative. It's a story of how God is making things right, and he's bringing things together, and he's bringing things into order. Now, if you're thinking about the order of God, I'm sorry if this sounds very Bible study-ish, but I have to at least give you this this, this, this prelude so you can understand then how we ought to read and how we ought to approach the book of Job and where our heart posture should be when we're reading the book of Job. Because if you're looking at the order of things, right? If, if the moment that you hear order, you have to think system. And the moment that you think system, you have to think government. And the moment that you have to think government, then you have to think authority and rule. And therefore, now that helps you understand why when Jesus preached, what Jesus preached was the kingdom of God. Jesus preached the kingdom of God. For those who... (laughs) who have thought about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is like this floating thing. It's this weird thing. It's this complex thing. It's this thing that, you know, no one can really fully make sense of. And everybody talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And for others who can't fully interpret the kingdom of God, they simply say, well, the kingdom of God is heaven. And yeah, that's not what the scriptures tell us. The kingdom of God is not heaven. The kingdom of God is the full manifestation of the order and rule of God, both in heaven and in everything that he's created that is on earth as well. So the kingdom of God is literally heaven meeting earth. The kingdom of God is when all things have been made right. The kingdom of God is when righteousness and justice have been brought into order and have been brought into coincidence. Are you with me, fam? This is so critically important because for many, when we think of kingdom, we don't think of rule. And yet, when we talk about scripture, I want to make sure y'all get this because this is so critically important because maybe it'll help you now understand scripture. It'll make you. It'll help you understand the Bible. I like that you said Miles Monroe 101 because he was all about the kingdom, and I love kingdom theology because kingdom theology is gospel theology. Because kingdom, what, what comes out of the gospel is the kingdom, the, the full manifestation of the kingdom of God. So why am I bringing all this up? Because God has been in the business of establishing His kingdom. When I say it's been brought into coincidence, what I'm saying is they've been brought in alignment. They've been brought together. They've been brought at the same time. They're they're one in the same, they're two sides of the same coin. So why does all of this matter? Because the word righteousness in the Bible I think it's, it's interesting, when you think about righteousness, they confuse righteousness with holiness. Let me say that one more time. There are many folks who confuse righteousness with holiness. Yes, when you think of something that's righteous, you think of it as something that is holy, as perfect. That's why in the Western world, we have a very uh, legalistic way of looking at righteousness. We have a a courtroom way of looking at righteousness. It's very legalistic, and yet, no, righteousness is not um, simply being right. It is being restored in the rule and the authority of God, meaning then that righteousness is not about a legality established by a system, but one by God. And so, this is why the word righteousness is the same word as the word justice because the word righteousness speaks into the rule, the law, and the kingdom of God. That's why you can't be righteous and not have justice. And there can't be justice without righteousness because justice and righteousness are the same thing according to the scriptures. So righteousness is not being perfect in yourself, being righteous, is about being aligned with the heart and the will of God. You can't separate justice and righteousness. They're the same thing. Now you'll understand then why this has always been about the kingdom. I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere. I wanna make sure I preface all of that because since the beginning when man deviated from God, God has been in the business of bringing restoration and establishing his justice. Notice now, his justice, his justice, his justice, not, 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 not our justice, not what we think right and wrong should be, not, well, I feel like it should be this way, not, well, this is the system by which things should work. This is how it ought to be. Ooh, fam, fam, fam. I hope you're catching me on this one. Because there are many of us who struggle with what is right and what is wrong because we've measured what is right and what is wrong based off of consequences and not the heart and the character of God. Let me say that one more time. There are those of us, we may not say it explicitly, but we live it out implicitly, that what is right and what is wrong is not a function of the heart and the character of God, but rather what I can and can't get away with. Yes, what is right and wrong is dependent on whether or not I will be punished or whether or not I will be rewarded. Our right and wrong in today's culture has been measured by reward and punishment. What is right gets rewarded. What is wrong gets punished. And so if I do what is right, then I'll go to heaven. But if I do what is wrong, then I will go to hell. And so there's, this understanding of a righteousness and a justice that is based off of what I call worldly wisdom and not godly wisdom. Worldly wisdom says when you do something wrong, there is a punishment. When you do something right, there is a reward. That is worldly wisdom, godly wisdom doesn't operate on worldly wisdom and godly justice doesn't look like worldly justice. And now because of this, and I want you to understand why this is such a messed up, broken way of thinking when it comes to the kingdom and when it comes to justice and when it comes to morality, when it comes to righteousness. Let me tell you why. Because what happens is, is we get confused when bad things happen because we equate bad things happening, stay with me fam, to punishment and we equate good things happening to reward. And so when bad things happen, implicitly by consequence of the way we think about justice, the first thing that comes to our mind is, what did I do wrong? Or what have I done to suffer this pain? And then when good things happen, what do we think? We think, what did I do right this time that led to this particular reward? This is what we call worldly wisdom. This is worldly thinking. But this isn't godly thinking. This isn't how God operates. This isn't how God works. And what the book of Job does is, is that the book of Job exposes the fact that Our wisdom is not God's wisdom. Our morality is not God's morality. What Job is exposing is that God's kingdom operates on another scale. God's kingdom, the kingdom of God operates in another way. Man might operate on a rule and regulation system, a reward and punishment system, yet God doesn't operate that way. You see, what we see as we read this text is we see a Job who the scriptures tell us that he's righteous. The scriptures tell us that he's doing everything right. This man is a good man, he's upright. He's a man who's well-respected. But the problem with Job, and stay with me, fam, on this, the problem with Job is, is that Job is righteous and successful. You say, wait, hold on, That's why, why is that a problem? Why is it a problem for Job to be righteous and successful? Here's why it's a problem for Job to be righteous and successful. The reason why it's a problem here in the text is because of our worldly way of thinking. We often equate righteousness with success. And so for us, it's a problem because we have aligned Job's righteousness and Job's success and that he's successful because he's righteous and because he's doing everything he's supposed to be doing because he fathers his children well, because he loves the Lord, because he prays, because he does all these things, then Job must be righteous and therefore he's successful. And so what Job does is Job breaks this paradigm of thinking about what, Righteousness and reward really looks like. Are y'all with me so far, fam? Ooh, Stay with me because Job is doing everything right. But then life goes completely wrong. And for those who are here, and there are many of us here right now, Who, what we're struggling with is we're struggling with how do you reconcile that, God, I've done everything right before your eyes, and yet nothing seems to be going right in my life. How do I make sense of that? God, what do you want me to do next? because I'm living the way you want me to live. And yet I'm not getting the blessing that should come with godly living. But God didn't promise that. God didn't promise you that he would bless you if you lived a godly life. He didn't promise you that he'd bless you with cars and money and clothes. He, he 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 didn't promise you that he would he would bless you with health and wealth because you uh, you you you're living in a righteous and a holy life. He didn't bless that. We don't perform for God's blessings. And if God's blessings, stay with me on this, has anything to do with your performance, then it could never have been grace, because grace has nothing to do with performance. The grace of God has nothing to do with what you do or don't do. And what Job is doing here is that Job is breaking this paradigm of thinking. He's breaking this paradigm of thinking because what Job is doing is Job is showing you, I'm doing everything right. But my God, Life can go completely wrong when you're doing everything right. (sighs) Can I say that one more time? Life can go completely wrong even if you are doing everything right. You could lose your money. You could lose your marriage. You can lose your family. You can lose your children. You can lose it all. And because you've lost it all, you can find yourself falling into thinking, what did I do wrong? And yet the way God operates and the way God works is not based off of what you do and what you get. Because God does not work on a righteousness reward system. And God does not work on an unrighteousness punishment system. That is not God's system. That is not God's law and that is not God's justice. If what God blesses you has nothing to do with you and nothing you can do can remove the blessing of God. Somebody needs to hear this today because there's someone right now who's struggling, struggling with how can I do everything right and for everything to go wrong? Job is righteous before God. He loses his family. He loses all his kids. He loses all his wealth. He loses all his property. He loses everything in seemingly one fell swoop. Just boom, all of it, gone. In one shot. Then in chapter two, he loses his health. The man is living in depravity. Only thing he hasn't lost is his life and his wife, and that's another word for another day. But the only thing he hasn't lost, but his marriage is in fractures. His wife is looking at him like, "Bro, this is the God you serve. This is this is the God. How many people have heard this, mm-hmm. family? How many people have heard this? If how many people have heard this? If your God is so good, then why are you going through what you're going through?" If your, if your God is so good, why is it you going through this pain? Why are you still sick? Why are your finances messed up? Why is everything screwed up? If your God is so good, why isn't, your, why isn't your life going the way that it ought to go? As if the blessings of God come from your performance and come from the goodness and the character of God. No, no, no. We have this performance measure of ourselves to God. And we have a performance measure of God to us. Because the reality is, is we don't have relationship. We have transaction. As if the situation that we're going through is measured by the character and the heart of God. She's telling Job, Job, be done with this. Move on from this. And then the wise men who come... From the east, another word for another day. You can see where I'm going. I could preach all day, family, and I'm not here to preach. Ah, mm-hmm. but we have three wise men from the east who come to Job in the midst of his suffering, and they see Job. And notice, Job is so down and out that Job doesn't even want to live, y'all. He's going through so much pain. He's lost so much. He don't, he don't even want to live. Stay with me. Stay with me. He doesn't even want to live. But I hope you guys are reading what I'm reading. Because this man is righteous. And yet nothing is going right. He's righteous. And yet nothing is going the way that he wants it to go. He's righteous and yet... He's suffering. He's righteous and he's about to lose his wife. He's righteous and he's lost all his kids. He's righteous and he's about to lose all his money. He's righteous. And even his three friends look at him and all his three friends can think of is what did this man do to go through what he's going through? Because here... Righteousness is measured by performance, by reward, by punishment. (laughs) That's right, Asia. And this man who now sees the consequence of his life doesn't even wanna live anymore. And I know there's some folks who know what that's like when you're like, man, I'm better off dead. I'm better off just not being here. I'm better off not existing. I don't know if anybody's been to that point and has gotten to that instance, has reaching reached this level of darkness. To say I might as well not even exist anymore, and for you to be so down and out and for you to be so hopeless because the reality is you're looking at this and you're going why am i going through this cuz let's be real family suffering is not fun i i have not experienced this kind of suffering but i just had I just had a retinal reattachment and I went through a couple hours in the most pain I've ever been in. And I don't know why I was experiencing so much pain. We had to run back to the hospital and I was in pain. And all I was thinking to myself is, can this just stop? Because there's a natural tendency for us to avoid pain and to avoid suffering. So what do I need to do to get away from the pain? I want to share one thing. I just feel like the spirit is leading me to share this, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, just share it real quick. Um, pain is painful. I know it sounds so redundant, and yeah, okay, Captain Obvious. Pain is painful. What I mean by it is that pain leads to so many dimensions of pain pain comes in many forms and yet even in one form or another it leads to many other forms it branches out into all forms of pain you can have physical pain and your physical pain will give you emotional pain relational pain psychological pain you can have psychological pain and psychological pain will lead you to other forms of pain but the one pain that pain gives that makes all the other pains so profoundly painful is that when you're in pain you're naturally now alone because you're the only one who can feel what you're feeling and it has a way of isolating you. So if you're in the midst of pain today, I want to encourage you that you don't have a God who does not know your pain. You don't have a God who does not know what you're going through, that in the midst of the loneliness and in the midst of the pain, God is with you. He's not punishing you, but he's with you and your pain is a part of your story. There's power in pain. There's power in pain. There's power in suffering. Whether it be emotional, whether it be psychological, whether it be relational, whether it be physical, there's power in suffering. And yes, I know we all have a tendency to want to run away from it, shy away from it, blame ourselves for it. But the reality is, is that pain is a part of God's justice. Ah, oh, this, is, this is the part nobody wants to hear. And this is the part that's often very difficult. And I'm saying this because I'm not going through super pain now, but even as I was going through pain last week, every part of me wanted to avoid the pain and run from the pain but pain is actually a part of the process. I know you're in pain. I know sometimes it can be so bad that you just, you don't wanna live anymore. I know it can be so profoundly painful that you just, you just wanna end it all. And you're wondering whether or not God has punished you or what you did to go through this and yet, It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with what you did. And it doesn't change whether God is good or isn't good. Your pain is a part of your process. God's goodness has pain in it. God's love and his righteousness has pain in it. Pain is a part of God making things new and making things right. Pain is a part of the process. So endure endure. Pain has a purpose. Here's the thing, though, is while we can't know the purpose, and and we'll, we'll dig in and try to figure out why did Job go through this, and, and what's the purpose of all this pain, what we can know, at least at this point, is that pain didn't come from Job's disobedience. Pain actually came out of simply the righteousness of God, that there's pain in the righteousness of God. The pain, pain could have different purposes for different people. But pain is a part of the process. Does anything you remember today is remember pain is a part of the process. Yes, it's a part of the process. Pain is a part of it and yes, there are going to be people like Eliphaz who say in Job chapter 4 verse 7, remember now, whoever perished being innocent or where were the upright ever cut off? Eliphaz has a small view of God. Eliphaz has the same small view that many of us have had whether we grew up in church or whether someone told us about God, we have this very small view of God and very small view of his justice and a very small view of his righteousness. Yeah, we have a very small view of it. And there are many of us who are going to look at this and say, yeah, I feel like Eliphaz. Who has ever perished being innocent? Who? or or has the upright ever been cut off and that's been the question of many of us hmm but we already know who Job was he was upright he was doing what was right and yet he was going through pain there's somebody in here right now asking God whatever I did, please forgive me. Your pain is in punishment. And I know I'm running ahead a little bit I know I'm running ahead a little bit, but we're gonna eventually continue reading through this because there are some people who are going through a season of pain. And I just pray that this read and rant over the next few days. And in the next week after Thanksgiving, as we continue to journey through this, I hope that this will give you a new perspective on the pain because here's the reality The reality is even though we go through pain, God gives us the strength to endure, to persevere. So there's some questions that we're asking, some things that we're going through, some things that we're wrestling with, and some things we're trying to figure out. I'm going to help you with one today. It's not your fault. It doesn't change that God loves you. It doesn't change that God still has a plan for you. It not changed that God's righteousness is still on you. It doesn't change where God is with you. You are not a failure. You are not a failure. God's light has shined upon you. He loves you. So if you're going through it right now, what I'm praying for today is that he gives you the strength to endure. I know it feels like it. I know it feels like you want to fix whatever it is that made you go through what you're going through, but what if it was a part of you and a part of the story that God is writing through you? And yes, it's painful, but my goodness is part of the process. Father, I ask today, Lord, that you would be with those who are going through bouts of pain, suffering. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would give strength, I pray, Lord, for those who are going through depression, financial loss, loss of family, marriage, home, pain, whatever it is, Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would, Lord, comfort your children. Comfort them today, Lord. Remind them today that they are your children, that you love them, Father. I pray that you would give an extra portion of grace, strength to endure all that they're going through. And I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I love you all. We're gonna continue to journey through this. Um, I just believe the Lord is going to speak through it. Um, It's funny how I'm preaching about pain through a time of pain. Because I am in some pain, and yet I'm learning to endure through that pain. Um, Let me say one last thing. I don't know why I just feel led. There's going to be a way throughout the next few reading rants for this, and I hope you guys can continue to journey with me through this. But if there's one thing that I've become profoundly convinced of for this generation, talking about my generation, my folks, We don't know how to go through pain. We don't know how to do it. We don't know what to do with pain. That's why there are a lot of us who are suicidal. Let me say that one more time. I might even put that on TikTok. We don't know how to go through pain. We don't know how to suffer, not anymore. We don't know how to endure. That we just don't know. And that's why our suicide rates are up. That's why we have mental health issues. That's why we're we're struggling with so much because we just don't know what to do with pain. We don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to, to confront it. And the same thing I'm praying for is that God would give us wisdom in our times of pain, that he would give us the strength to endure it, that he would teach us that pain is not a bad thing. It's not always bad. Pain isn't something to run away from, but it's something even in the midst of to steep ourselves in and to grow into. We don't know how to deal with pain, but I pray that the Lord will give us the wisdom to endure through pain. That's one of my prayers. So Lord, help our generation endure pain. I'll see you guys. Uh, tomorrow and Wednesday. Of course, I won't be there Thanksgiving or on Friday, but I do want to continue to read through this, and I want this to minister to you. I thank you all, guys. Thank you for your prayers. I know I've been gone for about weeks now uh, the surgery went well thank you so much um, keep me in prayer as I continue to recover I have good days and I have bad days um, I have days where I'm like okay things are getting better and then I have days where I'm I'm, I'm discouraged I'm like I don't think I'm this is decided my, my vision's improving and anyway and then there's the pain of it all the discomfort of it all and so anyway I have bouts of discouragement as well. And this, that and being discouraged doesn't mean you, you don't have faith. It means that you're you're reveling in the moment. You're you're steeping into what you're feeling in that moment, and you bring that to the presence of God. And so God is teaching me a lot in this season. So keep me in prayer on that. And um, thank you to all the patrons. If you're interested in supporting, just click the link in the bio uh, and click become a patron. I would love for you to be a part of the family. I've been praying that the Lord get us to our our mark. Um, and that we wouldn't have to, uh, anything that will help me focus more on this, right? So I can maybe leave my third job, (laughs) um, so that I can focus on this because I really want to spend more time with the patrons. really want to spend more time with Bible study. I hope you guys can be a little patient with me. Um, even though we won't do Bible study this week on Patreon, we'll do Bible study next week, God willing. I, I would like to think that I'd be more, uh, um, in a better place uh, physically to be able to do that. And so anyway, I'm just glad I was able to do this today. I wasn't sure if I was going to make it through, uh, but I was glad that I was able to get through it. So anyway, love y'all fam. God bless you guys. Keep me in prayer. Also text me so that way I have your number. That way I can send you updates whenever that happens. And if you can, bless me by becoming family by becoming a patron that those of you who've messaged me by the way some of you have messaged me saying hey i can't become a patron i just don't have the capacity to do that i want you to understand i'm going to keep doing the reading rants i won't stop doing it um it's really for those who who want to support who've been blessed by this and really want to open doors for me to be able to do more and so guys i just thank you for all of you who've committed to it You may not think this is a big deal, but every day, I can't tell you enough. I thank God every day for my patrons. You have no idea. I know you're thinking, oh, it's just $10 a month. I know there are those of you who are giving $100 a month, and I'm like, wow, that is above and beyond. But there are those of you who give $10 a month. I'm just as grateful. I'm just as grateful because here's the thing. Family, it confirms to us that we are doing God's work. It tells us it's God really affirming to us. So God is using you to encourage us to be able to continue to press forward and to continue continue to do this. And I can't I can't tell you enough. I don't I'm not gonna I'm, I don't want to get into another rant. But there are days where I'm I feel so assured by simply the fact that there are people who say, "Hey, I just want to support with ten dollars a month." That's a big deal. There are those of you who've messaged saying. You've canceled your Hulu subscription and you've transferred that over just to support guys, that's a that's a huge deal and i'm I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that. Um, you have no idea what that does. It opens so many doors. it you know my Vanessa and I we've been praying about, okay, Lord, how are you gonna give provision to us as we make this you know transition, especially since I'm you know moving away from faculty work and I've just been focused on work um, with the Lord wants us next in ministry. And this has been just a profound encouragement. So just know that I have random times in the day where I'm just grateful for my patrons. Like, thank you, God, for them. Thank you, Lord, Lord, that you just call them and you you attune their heart to want to support what we're doing here. So I thank you guys and I love you all very, very much. So I'll see you guys tomorrow, all right? God bless you guys. Peace out.